Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Moonwalker. And I am so excited to hear her story because I only know just a little bit and already I'm fascinated. So uh, if you want to go right ahead, I'll just let you go. Yeah, welcome. I'm, I'm so uh, honored to be on NDE TV. I, I think it's really cool that you have this platform to share everybody's stories because they're all so unique and they all bring about such wonderful gifts um, if, if you choose to look at them that way. And I'm honored to share my story with your audience because if you know, you're know you tuning into Peggy's program, it's probably because you have an experience with an NDE or have experience with somebody you love having an NDE, which can be a real challenge. Um, my NDE resulted in the loss of most of my left arm. I'm an amputee basically from here down. And I'll tell you how that happened um, and kind of a little bit about why it happened. It was in 2010 and I was 41 years old. I had been depressed and suicidal most of my life. I had a failed suicide attempt in my late teens, um, had become a meth addict, had had an abortion. I married my drug dealer. I mean, life was just a freaking mess. And then I got pregnant again and it ended up being a single mom and joined the Air Force because I needed something to provide structure and financial security. And so I was able to, you know, like clean up my life on the surface, but underneath all of that stuff mm -hmm. was still the same. My stories about who I was and what I was worth was still the same. I learned really well how to perform in public, to smile and all of that. And, but I, at home with my kids and my second husband at the time, and then my third husband after that divorce, I was just a mess. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to connect. I didn't like myself. And you can only give out what you are. I, if you're an orange, yeah. you can't be squeezed and produce apple juice. Like right. when you're squeezed in life, whatever is inside of you comes out. And I didn't have anything that, that I saw as valuable inside. So I, I was just expressing that to the closest people I knew, right? My kids, my husband, my so-called. Uh, Cause they're friend. valuable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're valuable, but they're also like in your space and you can't get away from them. You know, you can't like the, the facade that I put on in public, I couldn't maintain day after day after day after year after year, oh. after year with my husband and my kids. And so they got to see and, and feel and observe the things that I was truly about. And I was very angry and I was very much a victim and I blamed everybody, especially my mom and my stepdad. And my family for all the problems that were in my life for, for me being poor and overweight and unhealthy and unhappy in marriage and not having any purpose and passion in life. I just blamed it all on them. Right. It was never me. And so I had gone through my second divorce. I was just newly married and find myself going through another divorce. And I was just like, I'm out. I'm, I'm just, I'm just done. I've got to find a way to just end this continual cycle of suffering. And I, I knew that if I committed suicide, that that would have a devastating effect on those who really did love me, my kids, anybody else, family. And so I was looking for an honorable way to do that, right? Kind of like make it look like an accident. And I was working for the Department of Defense, had spent time in the Air Force, and I, uh, conjured up an opportunity to get embedded and be a part of a new DOD unit that was army-based engineering. It's first into conflict. It's going into some of the worst areas. And I got selected to be the public affairs officer for that group. So here I am, I'm going to Afghanistan. It's a small unit in some bad areas. I'm like, perfect opportunity. Gotta die. Yes. This is, this is it. This is it. And I'm gonna make a shit ton of money during it, you know, leave, at least leave something for my family. And so um, that was my plan. And I, I arrived at the unit and we were all training and we were about six months out from our deployment. And I, I'm just like devastated every day. And I hate the job. I absolutely hate the job. It was just such a mess. And so I'm fighting with my husband all night, one night and woke up and he was off in another state and just needed to decompress. And so I got on my Harley Fat Bob, gorgeous bike. Oh, such a beautiful bike. And I'm stationed at Fort Knox, Kentucky. I get on it and it's the fall. It's early October, October 8th. And so the fall leaves are just beautiful. And I'm riding through the hills and just, it's just serene and stunning. 
And I get to work and I'm, I am, I'm calm down and I'm relaxed. And then the, 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 you know, the storm of chaos and everything hits again as I walk into the door of work. So by the time I left the office, I was just in tears and just a, a big tension ball. And I had um, started getting involved in an organization that was putting on a, a big ball for disabled people and people that have cognitive dysfunction that never got to go to a high school prom or anything like that. So they're throwing on this big ball. And I was assigned and volunteered for helping to do makeup. But you know, Peggy, I, my, my self-worth was so bad and it hurts to think back on how I felt about myself. And I'm sitting there on the motorcycle and I'm, I'm in tears kind of like I am now, just trying to hold them back, right? And I'm thinking, I hear that voice, you don't need to go do that thing, that nobody's gonna miss you if you're there. And, you, and for one thing, we don't, wanna, we don't feel like putting on a fake smile, just, just don't show up, nobody's gonna care, nobody will even notice. And, so, and then I'm, reiterating arguments that I've had with my husband. And I'm just like, God, I just need six more months, six more months. And I hear this other voice. And this one says, Hey, Sam, do you want to go to the bar and sing karaoke with me? It's Friday night. Don't want to go home alone. Don't want to go to the thing. Cause I'm not important enough or needed. So I was like, yeah, solution solved. Right. <laughs> so, um, I'm on my motorcycle and I have full gear because in the, in the military, if you have a motorcycle accident without full gear, you don't get any medical care. There's no, no um, benefits, nothing. So I, we wear all of our gear and I was on a road following my friend and it was a road that I hadn't ridden on before, but it was a road that the tanks, the military tanks take to their training ground and they're very wide and very heavy. So that when they come up on a hill or a curve, and this was a hilly curve, uh, they take the outside and that tends to break up the asphalt. And distracted driving, upset driving, um, wasn't present, got to the crest of the hill, going about 45 miles an hour, hit the debris. And last thing, I'm just like, oh, shit. And then I ended up in this, like, I didn't even know there was a transfer of time, but I'm, I'm just in this quiet, completely soundless space. Can't feel anything, but I can see. And, and there's these beautiful, like, like, like lights going past my face from left to right. And they're just like gorgeous. And there's nothing behind them. There's just like this gray fuzz, but these lights just keep going by. And I followed one of them and I could see my feet, my boots bouncing on the highway. And then it connected with me. I was like, oh my God. I, like, I didn't know what this was. I still couldn't feel anything, couldn't hear anything. And my boots, and then so I'm adding two and two together. I'm like, I'm under my side. I'm being drugged by my motorcycle. I, I'm like actively being drugged down the hill. And I, so I, like, I can't even scream. I know that my body is just like in complete panic, but I hear nothing. I feel nothing. And I realized that the, the pretty lights are my foot pedals getting drugged down the highway. It's the metal, right? And so that means that gray behind me is probably the back wheel. And I didn't actually add the back wheel image until later when I processed it. So then all of a sudden everything explodes and I can feel everything and I can hear. And that like the engine is stuck and it should die. Whenever a bike tips, I think past 33 degrees, it should die. This was stuck. The throttle was stuck and it's screaming and I'm burning and like, I'm freaking out. So I, even though the back wheel is in full bore, I, I push off of it and, and get myself pulled out from underneath the motorcycle and I'm just panicked. I looked and it's just, it's a bloody mess. My, uh, my arm is gone from here to the wrist, like uh, down to the bone. And so I'm just freaking out and I start running down the road, just screaming. And at that point, my, my coworker had backed up and saw, you know, cause she was like, where's, where's Sam, you know, where's she at? She didn't, she didn't turn around the corner and she jumps out of the pickup, grabs me and throws me and just like lays me down in the ditch. And she was a combat veteran and she had got almost died in, in Iraq face almost blown off. And so she's like got some PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which is a, a very, it's a, it's a trapped terror in the body when you experience something that is overwhelming um, and overwhelmingly negative. So she was off doing her thing and, and her friend was in the pickup and he didn't have any training. He was like, well, I don't know what to do. And like, so I'm laying there in the ditch and I'm realizing, oh my God, 
I'm dying. What, what do you mean? You said she was off doing her thing. I'm sorry. Well, she she was off um, post-traumatic stress disorder because it's trapped terror in the body. When there's a trigger, you go into an automatic terror response. Oh, so, so she was like frozen? She was, you know, I don't even know how she handled it. She just wasn't present there for there you for me. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Because PTSD can express itself in violent outbursts and tearing and freezing. I, I don't know what her response was, but I know her response was, I can't okay. deal with this right now. Okay. And I honor that because she'd been through some right. stuff, right? And, and PTSD is real. And, and I have a lot of empathy for people that come out of traumatic experiences without the post-traumatic growth. And that is, that is an actual scientific diagnosis for those that come through I have your it. death experience. Yes. So you understand. Um, so she was off taking care of what she needed to take care of and the way that she needed to take care of it. And so I'm there in the ditch. And when I realized that all my blood, you only have four to five liters is rapidly artery gone going out. I'm getting thirsty. I know the symptoms, lots of training in that. And so I didn't have like some people have like a visual of like all the highs and lows of their life. And then they just, all the expressions and feelings. And I didn't have that. It was just like a big black screen. And then the only thing I felt was, was remorse and regret. And there was nothing I could do about that. And I knew I only had a few moments and I wanted to like, maybe enjoy them if it was uh -huh. possible. And so I just kind of got present and I was looking at the trees and I was feeling the grass underneath my hand with my, my right hand. And, and I did something I hadn't done intentionally ever in my whole life. And I decided to focus on what it felt like to take a breath. So good. It was so good. I, if for the first time I could feel it going through my body and just the energy and the vitality that like breathing brings. And then I wondered if my next breath was going to be the last one. So I really started focusing on the sensation of the air coming through my nose and down into my belly and how it just naturally easily flowed out of my belly. And I was really, it, it just calmed me down and it gave me a sense of peace. And I just decided to surrender, just surrender. And when I did that, there was something that's like almost magical until you know, like the mechanics behind it. I, I like separated myself from my previous story. And I realized that because I was dying, there were some neurological things going on in my body. And at that moment, when I surrendered, something shifted. And that's when the movie and, and the stories of my past started coming up, but I had already separated because I'd surrendered. So I was looking at them kind of from a, from a third party perspective, it's called objective viewing. And I was able to look at, oh, I could now trace all the, the decisions that I made that brought me to this moment. I put myself in that ditch because I was able to look at, so I was like, all right, connected all the dots. Then I went back and I started looking at why do I believe that about myself? Where did I first hear that story? So I traced it to the person I remembered that I first heard the story from and went, okay, so is it really true? Is it really true? Where did they learn that story? Who taught them that? And is it really true? Or is this just a story and a way of believing that I was trained into because that's what my parents were trained into. That was my community was trained into. That was my, my close little niche society was trained into. And I started just kind of going through and realizing, oh my God, I, I perpetuated in my adult life stories that I had taken on as my identity in my childhood. My childhood was full of physical, emotional, sexual abuse. So my identity was pretty low vibe, pretty, I didn't have any self-esteem, self-worth. And then I was like, wow, okay, so beliefs are really fragile if you look at them the right way. And at that point, I just even more surrender because I was just like, oh, I am not this awful, un unlovable person. And then something else shifted and my consciousness completely came out of my body and was completely in it. I was everything I and I 
I could, I could feel is like the not right. It, it, it's not a, it's not the, the right word because feel is body, mind connection, like body feeling, but there was a, there was a sense of just pure peace and joy and bliss. There wasn't any fear. And I had been raised with a lot of religious dogma that, you know, there's a lot of fear mongering in, in religion, but I was like, this doesn't feel at all like what I was taught. There's so much love and peace here. And I know that I quote unquote was not a good person. So I shouldn't be deserving this feeling. And then I heard a voice <laughs> that came from everywhere from within. I was the voice. I was the voice, but the voice wasn't me. It was a very strange experience. And the voice said, you are mine. You are mine. It just like totally stunned me because the meaning behind those words were so deep, three words, but it, it was a, because the, the expression came from me as well as to me, it was an, I'm myself. I, I am my own source of everything. And yet my whole source is from the, the creator, the original source. I'm an expression of that beautiful, perfect source. And this experience in this body isn't who I am. It's an experience in this body. And whew, when, when, when all of that hit me, then that divine source, the great spirit kind of chuckled because we're an experience. We're an expression of God, all of us. And so we all have our own independent um, ways of being and, and senses of humor and kind of ways of communicating that connect and those that don't. And, and so I felt and I heard, uh, so now that I have your attention, we're going to have a conversation and it's going to be one way. You're just going to listen. I'm like, I'm in whatever, <laughs> you know? Yes. What do you have to tell me? And there were a lot of things that that the great spirit, the God, divine source, whatever you want to call it, shared with me that cleared up so many beliefs in my life in, in that probably one minute time span. Because like I said, I, I was bleeding out and four to five liters of blood. And with the, the type of wound I had, you have one minute to three minutes to live. So this all happened very fast. And, and there were just almost like processes that God took me through that rewired and, and collapsed my beliefs and created new ones and a whole new identity. It was completely restructured. And then I kind of snapped out of it. Somebody was doing something to my arm and like, I realized there was a tourniquet. And then I put it all together that, oh my God, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And I got so excited. And I just remember thinking to myself, because it was this mantra that I still use now, I don't know what this means, good, but it's going to be fantastic. Like, it's just going to be fantastic. And so I was in the hospital for 30 days and I can't even count the number of surgeries. And we finally ended up doing the amputation and um, they eventually took a flap from my stomach and put it here to cover the bone. And, and I was just like, just do, let's just do the thing that gets me active in life the quickest. I just want to get out there and do, I've got stuff to do. I'm 41 years old. I've never lived. And in that ditch, I realized that I had lived somebody else's life. I'd never allowed myself to be happy. I had taken on other people's values and other people's identities. And I was like, oh, I was just like a newborn baby with some awareness of how the skills work and how the tools work. I was like, oh, all this stuff that I'd been taught that the brain can't be rewired and you can't learn new things. That's all false. And now science has proved it. But I was like, I am, I, I need to go have fun. And so I left there a completely different person. The woman that was drug into that ditch is not the woman that was drug out. Absolutely not. And from there, I changed all of my friendships. I spent time self-care, self-love, got, I, I healed the relationships that were open to healing. And that's the thing. I had a complete transformation, but that didn't transform anybody else. So there are still relationships that I would love to heal. The other person has to want that healing. Um, I started traveling and I trained for the toughest half marathon in the nation, the Northwest and ran that. And then I uh, was just open to all possibilities. My, my yes radar was way open. Like if it's fun, th that sounds great. 
And so I ended up um, running into a guy that he came in. I was working for a prosthetist. They make the artificial limbs. And uh, he came in one day and kind of redneck dude, ball cap, missing most of an arm and missing most of a leg. And we got to talking and he found out he's in the military and he asked if I like to hunt and, you know, do I shoot guns and do I shoot bows? I was like, you know, I've, I've never shot a bow, but I went into Cabela's a couple, about a year ago and asked about that. And I, I was told that, well, for archery, there's a two arm minimum, two arm minimum. Okay. And I didn't really like investigate it after that. I was like, well, it made sense. Hold the bow, pull the bow back, whatever. So I just kind of blew it off. And it became one of the few things that I put in my, I can't do bucket. I've got a really tiny bucket of things I can't do. Um, and then I met him and he's like, oh no, there's not a two arm minimum. He said, you just wait right here. And so he wheels himself out of his, in his wheelchair. And I'm like, okay. And he comes back in in a couple of minutes and he's rolling this, I don't know, four foot tall target. And he hands me a bow and he says, now, right here is this little flap where if you had fingers, you would, you would hook on. He said, well, what you're going to do is you're going to put that little flap in the back of your molars way back there. You're going to bite down. You're just going to push the bow away from you and just generally aim at the target and then just relax your jaw. And so I did that. And, oh, Peggy, it was so <laughs> thrilling. Like my whole body said, yes, let's do this. And so he's, he's like, well, if you want to learn, he said, keep the bow. He said, you know, he lived about an hour away. He said, come a couple times a week and I'll, I'll give you some instructions. And, and uh, he's like, you know, I know what I'm doing. Cause I'm a three-time Paralympian gold medalist. And I'm like, oh, all right. And so I started training with him a little bit. And he said, you know, you don't have any bad habits, any stories about archery um, that are preventing you from learning really fast. He said, I think if you do everything I tell you, you could be the first woman to represent the United States in open compound archery in the Paralympics, which is 19 months away. Now at that point, Peggy, here's, here's the voices that showed up in my head, 19 months. You've never, you've never shot. You you're a week into this. You've never competed. You don't know anything about the sport. You don't have the time to gain the experience, right? Those 10,000 hours and, and like 10,000 hours at a state level competition and then national level and world and all, you just don't. And he was like, no, nah, that's, that's, I don't want to hear that out of your voice. I don't want to hear you say that. Do what I say. He said, you can do this if you do what I say. And so I did. And then I just walked away from everything and committed fully to archery. And in six months, I made the national team. Wow. <laughs> eight months, I made the world team. And on my 11th competition of my whole archery career, I shot in the United States, in the Paralympics in Rio and did Amazing. make history as the first woman to represent the U.S. in open compound archery. So yeah, it was just, and, and Peggy, it was, a, it was a building of the things that I learned in my near-death experience. And then he gave me a book that was a critical turning point in me because I spent, I spent many years, I spent uh, five years after my accident, just having fun, figuring out what my true self was, um, figuring out kind of what I wanted my life to look like. And I never really understood the science. I knew there had to be a science, a mechanics behind how I could just have a completely rewiring of personality and identity. And that book was, was the first clue in it. And it's a book called With Winning in Mind. And it's by Lanny Basham and it's written for elite. It's written for athletes, um, but applicable to all areas of life. And it's the first book that got me into the understanding of the ultimate supreme power of the sub subconscious mind and how that dictates everything that we see as a possibility or as a limitation. It dictates everything, how we filter our experiences. Um, it's, it's amazing. And What's so the name of that again, I'll get that for my son. Yeah. It's called with winning in mind by Lanny Basham. Highly recommended. And honestly, it's, it's a, it's kind of a, it's deep enough that, that I went overboard. I went like all in on the techniques that he teaches super simple techniques. Oh my God. They're super simple massively powerful. And I, I just went all, all in and I credit 
the knowledge that I gained from that book with why I was able to achieve that, that, that goal, that Paralympic goal, when all the stories said that wasn't even possible, right? So um, that set me on a course that it has continued to this day. Digging in, what is the magic behind transformation? Because magic is only magic until you know how it's done. And then it's just a blueprint, a process, right? So I've been studying neuroscience, quantum science, um, cognitive function, body, mind, spirit connection, yoga, qigong, neuro-linguistics programming, all of these very powerful, proven past the test of time or time proven uh, methodologies and information and tools to help people wake up from the story that they're in, look at it objectively, figure out really quickly who they truly are, like your true self, align your goals and your identity with that, and then start systematically removing all the things that don't line up with who your true self is and the life that you want to lead. And it's, it's been an amazing, fantastic journey. And I've been able to help people around the world. And I absolutely love it. Absolutely. Amazing. It's amazing. You know, when we hear God's voice like that, it just changes us. Yeah. It's like, we're in such honor. God spoke to me. I mean, how can you have bad self-esteem after that? You can. I did, did multiple you? times in my life. I, yeah, I have, I have heard, to, I guess. I have heard but that in that moment. Voice. Yeah, in that mm -hmm. moment, I think when it's a near-death experience where you're like, that moment doesn't have, literally doesn't have the, the option for another moment to happen. So like all of the, the stories, all of that mind clatter that, that we all have until we train our mind to operate differently stops because there's might not be a next moment. And for that moment, you have that clarity. And then in that clarity, when you can hear God's voice, that's when the shift happens. And the neat thing is Peggy, that everybody can get to that moment of clarity through some intentional practices. You know, we have let the subconscious and, and that's what it does. It runs our life. It runs the way we express. It runs what we see and do. But when we can tap in and learn how to rewire that and change it and we can tap in and and calm our central nervous system and relax the brain soften the, the the intensity kind of relax the prefrontal cortex all the amygdala and the primal aspects of our brain that are on autopilot we can when we can kind of soothe those then we can open up into the unknown and that's what you and I experienced in that moment of that near death when we were in a space of unknown where the mind didn't have context. This is something that mind is a, is, a, is a meaning making machine. So it absorbs what it thinks is important because what's repeated a lot and then just uses that data and regenerates new options, but it's new options based on old data. So when we're in a space of, of the unknown, that's when we're in that flow state where we, where we can hear and see experience things that we've never done before. If you have ever done any athletics and you get into that state where your body is moving and you're not even thinking about stuff, or if you in a book where you're reading and like all of a sudden two hours are gone and you've just been gone. I caught the zone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is called the zone. And so it can be done with art. It can be done with singing it can be done just walking in nature. When you get into that zone, that's where, and it happens a lot in the shower for people. Yeah. That's where those aha moments happen. And so you and I had needed, and I do believe that we needed those intense, you don't have another moment to live aha spaces because I'd had so many opportunities, but my story was so strong that I wasn't in a space of flow. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's amazing. I, and, and I, I am so grateful for this experience because, you know, I sabotaged my own suicide plan because my true self was screaming to get out. And it's like, all right, here, what, I'm going to give you one last shot. You can control your life, but maybe this time, maybe this time it'll connect. And, and it did. And I'm so grateful, so grateful.
No, um, you, you have like, um, what was this star uh, season one Awakening Giants? What is that? That sounds interesting. Yeah, so Awakening Giants is a is a brand new like docu-reality TV series that takes individuals that are wanting to affect positive change in the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean a, a, teach, a you know, healer, teacher, coach like, like me. Um, it can be somebody that wants to build a community center or somebody that wants to start a nonprofit or somebody that wants to put their energy, whose purpose in their life is to put their energy towards something that helps the community, helps the world. So it's just normal everyday people that are wanting to have a bigger, greater impact and help right now shift the consciousness of the planet because we are in a massive crisis. I don't need to tell you all the details about that, but people are starting to have the audacity to say, there's got to be more of life than this. Yeah. Wait a second. Why am I living life the way I've been living? It's kind of like their long near death experience where the normal is gone. And so the new normal, we just get like into a new normal and then that's gone because everything changes. So Awakening Giants is a, is a platform and a TV show that is unscripted. It's filmed around the world in exotic places. And Sprite Loreno, who is the founder of the, the program, has decades of experience taking through people through deep transformational experiences. So she's combined that. And we go to these exotic locations for seven to 10 days and have a deeply personal transformation experience that's unscripted and filmed and shown as a TV series. So while we're there, um, because at the heart of everybody wants to transform or help elevate human consciousness, we work with a local nonprofit. And so we, we work and we serve and we raise money during the episode filming for that nonprofit. And it can be anything from, you know, rescuing uh, wetlands in New Zealand, which I think is episode one, or uh, bringing clean water to Liberian tribes and, and communities and all of these nonprofits we, we partner with and then have a continuing relationship with. So it's a way to give back while you're going through some, you know, like explorations of the, of the, of your dark side, you know, maybe that, you know, the dark night of your soul, but whatever level of the transformation it is for you, it has proven to be absolutely amazing for people. Um, I was invited to be on the pilot season in 2018 and it just wasn't the right time. So I nominated five of my friends to be considered. They all were accepted and they all have had amazing life transformation experiences, shifted careers, shifted everything. Like one, one guy went on there to uh, help raise 1.5 million for his artist community and he raised 10.5 million. So, I mean, it's just, it's a really powerful one of a kind experience. And so I got selected as a, as a star for that. So just like in the previous time, I am like putting the energy out there to draw in 10 more people to be on the episode with me and experience it. And because it is such a huge transformation, there is, you got to have skin in the game. So a lot of people think that reality TV shows are just free and they're not, you know, you have to have skin in the game. So I've invested in that. So anybody that wants to be on it would have to be willing to invest in themselves. And um, so I think that we're going to, either Ireland or Mexico for my episode. And it's going to be in June. And that's basically all I know. Because what channel is, is this on? So it is launched on Plex. And so okay. Plex houses at different um, platforms and more you is the one that it's on. And you can find it now. You can just go to awakeninggiants.tv and okay. I'll send you the links to that. So you can put that in, okay. the, in the description if you want. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And so you can find them on Facebook as well, Awakening Giants TV community. And um, we're having a three-day online event where I think there's 10 of us giants that are going to be teaching 20 minutes. Here's, here's just a tip and a skill and a process that you can use in your life right now today to help you get back to your true self help you change the things in your life that you don't like. So that's going to be on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And I'll send you a link for that to have anybody register if they want. Yeah. So it's, it's a fascinating experience. And I think the timing is so divine because there's never been a time in human history 
where personal transformation and discovering the true self is more accessible and can happen at a quicker pace. Like people are changing so fast and the community swell of support for let's find a different way of being and doing like transformation absolutely demands and requires that you live differently and we're not satisfied with our world. So that means that we as individuals, instead of waiting for other people to change or highlighting and focusing on how other people are different, start focusing on ourselves and getting what I call divinely selfish, where we are so selfish that we won't allow any emotion, any judgment, anything that doesn't feel good to live in our, in our body. We won't judge anybody else and we won't judge ourselves. So I think there is a movement of moving to the true self and really embracing divine, divine selfishness. Because if you're your true self and you are so selfish that you won't allow yourself to feel bad, then you don't have anything bad to emote, to express, right? So it literally changes the consciousness of the world. And so that's that outlet that I'm, I'm working with that group to do. And I'm, and I'm loving the whole process. Uh, and because I think that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking back when you were talking about the beginning of your NDE, how you saw yourself and, and now it's like, it's like in action now where you, you realize things about yourself. Yeah. And then now, and I hear you talk, my gosh, it's like her NDE is like reborn, like in her wake life. It's, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it becomes a continuum. You know, our, our personal awareness, our self-growth, our, our, everybody, and, and if I could leave this one thought with the audience, if, if something would stick, I, I would hope that it would be this. And that's that everybody is responsible for their own path to their own truth. Your path isn't going to look like anybody else's. Right. And your truth isn't going to express like anybody else's. We all have our innate highest values. And when we can get back to our true self and we can live according to our highest values, our consciousness, our self-awareness, our ability to have self-love and then eventually leading to self-mastery, that's when it happens. And, and so for me, the, the near-death experience started an elevation of my consciousness. And that is, a, that is a continuum. It's not a binary. It's a continuum. It's not non-conscious conscious. It's a continuum through right. all of that conscious elevation. So I do believe that our, those of us who have had post-traumatic growth, that's coming through a trauma, but, but able to reframe it in a positive way, we, we do have a continuum, hopefully, if we're focused on the value and the benefits that we got out of that, of raising our, our self-awareness and raising our consciousness and increasing our self-love and eventually getting to self-mastery. And yeah, and, and it's that way in, in your audience's life as well. They are on a continuum of growth. Now, some people might feel like their life is stuck and that it's the same old thing every day, every day, every day, and nothing changes. And the reality is that they're changing all the time, but they're just changing into what they think they are. So it's like this vicious circle that in this now moment that they're in, they're not in an opportunity, you know, not in the unknown because they're reliving their past. So they're changing the now moment to look like the past all the time. And that's how the past becomes the future. So it is a continuum for sure. Yeah. For me, in my simple terms, I kind of think of it as you finding your soul and then expanding on that soul. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of, that is a beautiful way of, of putting it. Yeah. Realizing your soul discovering, finding your soul. Yeah. I like that. And then just bringing it out more instead of your brain thinking more with your soul, your heart and, and make decisions based on that space instead of, you know, the brain says, I want this, I want to do that. And might be for all the wrong reasons where what your soul really wants is maybe be free of all those kind of boundaries and responsibilities and just yeah, I think Peggy, that you're you're absolutely right. The, the soul isn't tethered to identity. The soul is limitless. And so when we live a life where we find ourselves saying often, and I would encourage your audience to just do this simple practice, and it's just a self-awareness practice. Throughout the day, 
you can set a couple timers. And when the timer goes off, just ask yourself, what was I just thinking? And so just like jot down some notes. What was I just thinking? And is that thought, does it feel good? Is that thought a reiteration of the past? What was my body feel? What's my body feeling right now? Does that feel good? And it's, so it's just a little exercise of self-awareness and, and, and notice throughout that. You, you're likely to notice that you're not really feeling good. You're tense a lot. Um, you're living in the past a lot. And maybe when you're talking about how you're going to structure your day, maybe the first words when you wake up is, oh, got to get, you know, just something negative. My, 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 before my near-death experience, it was, you've got to be kidding when the alarm go off because I didn't feel like I got any sleep. But what are you thinking first thing in the morning? Usually it's, I got to, I need to, I have to, I should. Got to, need to, have to, I should. Whenever got to, need to, have to, right. I should are leading your thoughts, you have zero freedom. Yeah. Zero. So it's becoming aware of how you're speaking is, is really, really super important because the way you're thinking, the way you're speaking is keeping the same software program in your mind. And so when you can just become aware and give yourself some compassion going, all right, I'm just, I'm learning how to do, uh, I'm learning how to do a, a plie, something that seems really difficult, a ballet movement, a gymnastic movement, maybe lifting weights or doing push-ups. I'm learning something new. So I'm, I don't expect myself to be a master at it right away. It's a process of becoming aware and just start becoming aware about how you speak about things. How often are you saying, I can't, oh, I can't do that. No, I'm just not that type of person. Well, I've tried in the past and it just failed. I just, I, I can't I'm just the failure at that, or I'm, I'm not that type of person. All of those signals, all of those messages are reinforcement of programming in your mind. And the neat thing is, is that programming can be rewritten. So yeah. start becoming aware of that. And it's kind of like have, living with an enemy. It's yeah, always well, cutting you down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the thing with the subconscious mind is it's, it's a meaning making machine and the meanings that it makes lead directly to your survival. Doesn't have anything to do with your happiness, your fulfillment. Are you expressing your purpose? Are you expanding? It's just mere survival. And that's, if we look at it, like between the ages of zero and six, our brain function has been scientifically proven to be in the same brain state as you are when you're in deep hypnosis. And in that brain state, there is no cognitive filter. There is just receiving, just receiving. And so your subconscious is going, well, that worked because I got fed when I did that. That worked because I didn't get hit. These are all survival things, safety, sustenance. That worked because I got to be in the presence of those who I feel protected me. And it's, that's all it's doing. It's not, does this feel good? Is this right? Is this moral? Am I getting valued? You know, none of that. It's just, all right, this worked. And so it's just figuring out what works. And the problem is, is at six years old, when we start developing our brainwaves change and we start developing some cognitive function, we don't realize that all of that was just default data. And that now we're starting to develop the tools to realize how, how are we going to change that to create a life that we actually like? We're not taught that. So we go through life on that default program yeah. because that has become our identity and our reality. And the magic is, is that there's so much science and so many tools and information and processes that people can just master themselves. No longer do we have to go to therapy to get free from our identity. We can do this ourselves. And there are massive communities popping up. I have one, I've got a program that can help people go through all the benefits of a near-death experience. And like Henry David Thoreau said, Peggy, the massive men are leading lives of quiet desperation. So we are all in a near-death experience. It's just, there's a strung out. Like when I died, dying was a formality. I was already dead. 
So there, are, I, I would just encourage your, your audience who loves to hear and learn about these things to realize that, just look, are you on your own near-death experience? Do you feel alive? Do you feel enthusiastic for your day? Do you feel like you're living your purpose? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? If not, you might be in your own elongated near-death experience. And it's time for you to take your power back and say, I'm, I'm gonna change. She's changed, Peggy's changed, people have changed. I don't have to lose a limb. I don't have to almost die. I don't have to die. I can do this now. Yeah. Everybody has that power and everybody has that right and that authority. You're self-sovereign. Yeah. I think I went on a rant there, but- No, it's fine, it's fine. I'm very, I I'm very passionate about people taking their own power and becoming their own master. I had said something similar, not so eloquently as you did on my podcast one time about the, the basic, needs we have that we can, you know, just kind of be driven on those. And, and someone's like, Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> we don't have those. <laughs> You're misinformed. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but yeah, I mean, I think we can start to understand what is a basic need and what is um, us feeling our soul and wanting that freedom. And, and, and then we have these learned responsibilities. We think we have to continue on this continuum doing these things. And, I just love right now is my husband just recently retired and he's doing all the things he's always wanted to do. Oh, and, yay. you know, he, he's always worked, 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 provided, provided. And now he's doing all this farming stuff. He, he made homemade sauerkraut, homemade butter, and well, he's going to buy a sausage maker machine today. And he's just having so much fun. I love that. I love that. You know what? And it sounds like now that he, you know, when you, when you said that we focus on the things that we need, shelter, food, uh, love connection, it's, we all need those. How are we getting those needs met? Right. And are they actually meeting our needs or are they checking a box because society says that's how you meet those needs? Um, it's a wonderful time of curiosity and shifting in, in our, in our world like as, as a global community, I think that we are starting to move into more smaller communities. People are simplifying their life. It's one of the most powerful things yeah. you can do is simplify your life. And I can't remember yes. who the, the expert is on it, but her process is you, you, you pick something up and does this bring me joy? Joy. Does it bring me joy? <laughs> and if it's yes, keep it. And if it's no, get rid of it. Right. Because you'd be amazed at how many things we have in our life that are just anchors to past stories. And so people are simplifying in their environment, but they're also simplifying in how, how they go about nurturing themselves. You know, like your husband, he's like, he, he needs to do things with his hands and he wants an experience with the earth. And like that whole, that whole connection of, I, I helped, I worked, I collaborated, I co-created with mother earth to bring in healthy nutrient things. And I, and it, he's in a creative, really grounded space and it yeah. obviously lights him up and that's his way of simplifying. And I think people are, well, they are doing it. There's the great resignation, 4.5 million people walked away from their job in the past year. And yeah. they're well, just my doing something has, that is- My husband got a bad diagnosis a month ago. Oh. And a lot of people would just be laying down depression or drinking or whatever, but not my husband. He's just laughing and having a ball. <laughs> it's amazing. Then that bad, di bad diagnosis will shift and it'll disappear. Yeah. He's doing great. <laughs> yeah. There's a, an amazing book. Have you read the book, uh, Biology of Belief no. by Dr. Bruce Lipton? Oh, such a good book. He was a professor at, I can't remember what major university it was, but his job was to teach genetics. And, you know, so he had spent years talking about how we're born with the genes of our parents. And if our parents had cancer or lung disease or, you know, any, any, any disease that we were more prone to have it because we had genes that expressed that disease. And so he was also doing some side studies while he was teaching. And he discovered that he could take stem, a stem cell, divide it so that they're all identical. And he could take that stem cell and put it in three different containers. And based on the environment, that stem cell would either become fat, bone, or muscle. Now, his question was, how does the same recipe, same ingredients, 
same gene, same stem cell, produce three completely different anatomical organ, you know, uh, expressions. And so he continued with this experiment and, and the long-term outcome was is that he discovered and, and coined the phrase, I believe, epigenetics. And that is the, the, the element above genetics that influences our genes. And so he was able to prove that none of us have genes for cancer. We have genes that will either downregulate based on our environment, the way we speak to ourselves, the way we allow ourselves to be spoken to, they'll downregulate genes that lead to disease. Or if we shift our environment to a higher vibration, literally a higher vibration, think differently, which produces a higher vibration when we think happier, positive, more self-affirming thoughts, those same genes will then upregulate and lead to improved health. And so it groundbreaking studies um, that, yeah. that well, my husband's is COPD alpha one, which is a genetic COPD. He's never smoked. It was, he got inherited from his mother she died of, you know, heart trouble and she had trouble breathing for years. And, and so he's got 25% use of his lungs. You know, we didn't know this, right. we just, you know, and we just found yeah. this out one day and he's wow. just, he's just he having a ball. He, he can change it because he didn't actually inherit a gene that expresses COPD. He inherited a belief that he inherited a gene that expresses COPD. He never knew he had it. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, the pulmonary function test showed him. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if he's open to it, read biology of belief and just, and just see what. Yeah. I'm not too worried. I mean, I was real worried in the beginning, but with his attitude and he's feeling so great. I mean, they gave him a little bit of steroids and a little bit on the inhaler, a little bit of mist thing, cleared him right up. His breathing troubles is out and he's seems like normal. Oh, I love to hear that. I love, I love to hear that. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And it's been very interesting. And I know the audience is going to love this video because you have a very good story. You tell it so well. Thank you. Thank you. If they're interested in learning more about how they can have their own shift, I am launching March 1st, a new platform. It's an online personal transformation learning platform called Let's Talk Shift. And in it, I teach foundational, like I said, everybody has their own path, but there are some foundational stepping stones that if you can get these anchored into your knowing and your personal awareness, then it, it launches your life like on hyperspeed for personal awareness and transformation and growth. So you can find that at let's talk shift. Um, I'll send you my Facebook and my other social links and they can find that there. If they want to find more out about me, go to my, my Facebook page, moonwalker life. And then I will have moonwalker life.me. Okay. And if you could give me the actual links, you know, that helps me because people send me the website and then like, I don't know the link and yeah, so yeah. I'll works. send you all, all, all the links. So I've got, um, after this, we'll, we'll, we'll re-verify everything that I want to send you. Okay. I'll send you a link to with winning in mind and, and the other books too. So that if your audience is interested, then they can easily have a link and, and just make it easy for them. Yeah. Just send me all that email. Okay. Okay. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.